Hey y'all, you're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your hosts, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. You know it's hard out here for a pimp. <laughs> you know it's hard out here for a pimp. You gotta push that shit out. <laughs> push them, say them peas real hard. <laughs> Jump a shit. Push that shit out. You know it's hard out here for a pimp when he's trying to get this money for the rent. <laughs> so, Dr. Rosie, mm-hmm. I am so excited today because not only are we about to get into the 2005 uh, drama slash romance. I hate that they call this romance. No one's it's r- very romance romantic like this. Not uh-huh. at all. Um, in my book, it's a comedy after the second time I watched it. But neither here nor there. But we're going to be getting into Hustle and Flow this episode. But most importantly is that we got company today, girl. We got company. I love company. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> listeners, this episode is very special because we are be- being joined Joined by, uh, we have our illustrious uh, company guests uh, from the podcast Fish Jelly. We have Nick and Joseph. Welcome. Hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're very excited to be here. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to have you. We we like we just are happy and excited that someone liked our hot mess of a podcast enough to be like, hey, we want to be guests over there. <laughs> we often we often feel the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So I'm so curious this, to listen. Yes, this is our first um, podcast collaboration episode. Yeah. So this is, this is yeah, this is wow. exciting because you Very have had special. guests before. I I, I know mm-hmm. that you have. yeah. Mm-hmm. We've worked. had guests, but this is our first podcast co-sharing guest company episode slash 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 (laughs) it's quite the honor yes that's exciting um and so for our listeners who live under a rock and might not know about your (laughs) podcast like patrick star um can you please tell us a little bit about yourselves so we're married for 15 years now nick is a real nick nick is a real thing film critic. Uh, He writes for a number of outlets and has been doing that for quite some time. And then about three years ago, we decided to make a review channel. And my sort of um, caveat for participating was that we would have to spoil the movies. I don't like talking about movies without (laughs) telling the entire story. Right. So, So basically, that's our brand. Like, we spoil movies. Nick is by far more knowledgeable about cinema than I am. So I give kind of like the lay person's view of most things. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we complement each other very well. Yes, I would agree. I, yeah, thank you. And so with that being said, I think that's a great introduction. And I think that we're ready to go ahead and get into this hustle and this flow. And so <laughs> Dr. Rosie, you already kicked us off with uh, your, your re-indition. <laughs> I mean, I got I'm more if you need it, you know, <laughs> just in case. No, I'm just kidding. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to give you space and opportunity. <laughs> I, I can't, it can't be given. I have to just take it, you know, just. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my favorite and unfortunate quotes for this Uh-oh. movie. 
is because I felt it. I, okay, like you said, for me, this second time around watching it, I felt like I understood it on a different level that I didn't when I initially watched it as a as a kid. So not that anyone cares, but I was 15 years old when I first watched it. <laughs> and um, it was kind of funny. It was awkward to watch. It was like uh, kind of cringy a little like what is happening here? Um, why is he, why is this their lifestyle? And then as an adult, I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, I wasn't as judgmental. I actually can empathize a lot with what they were saying. And so one of the things he said was, I'm here trying to squeeze a dollar out of a dime and I ain't even got um, a cent, man. And that resonated so well for me, especially like coming up as an adult, like the times I've had to really struggle to make something happen. And that that struck a chord. I don't know this this time watching it this time. I was like, oh, that's deep. I didn't I didn't see it as funny. <laughs> <laughs> like this. Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. And so first, let me give, you know, our little uh, disclaimer of that sex work is real work. And so there are no judgments here. We, uh, again, are OK with this film because there's ethical pimping that happens here. There's not unethical pimping. No one is being <laughs> held against their will. There True. is some slight manipulation but very very little coercion in which case we are we're, we're comfortable with this level of pipping very different from our experience with the mac but when i watched the movie the first time when i guess i was 16 then i was like oh it's so artistic and it's so emotionally heavy and i like the lighting and it this is this is what quentin tarantino movies would look like if he actually grew up around black people it didn't oh. just watch them on the films <laughs> 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 from the gratuitous uh, uh, violence and, and gore. <laughs> but then now watching it, it's absolutely hilarious and I laugh every time. What? Fuck with me, DJ. Fuck with me. Fuck with me, DJ. Oh, that's that takes me out every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of very funny quotable dialogue in, yes. in throughout, but I think my favorite is when uh, the, the white guy Shelby's like, if you had to say something different other than beat that bitch, what would it be? He's like, oh, I don't know. Stop that hoe. <laughs> and that seems so good. But yeah, it's there's a lot of comedy to it. Yes, absolutely. Well, he, he said, I ain't out here trying to call hoes no bitch. But yeah, most right. bitches I know are guys. <laughs> right. That was another good one. That's good one That's yeah. I think for me, being a hairstylist, hearing Paula J. Parker's character dig into Nola. Well, <laughs> that entire scene where they're on the that couch. Scene is so uncomfortable. It's so hilarious. Paula tells uh, Elise, like, if you think her hair looks like a wet dust mop, go on and tell her so. I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then she's like, Womp duck hoe. God, everybody else says my hair looks sexy. And, and then, then they, they well, that resonated with me. Well, uh, and also how politics <laughs> was sitting, like her crotch is out on that couch. Okay, she gave you no know, fucks, zero we fucks. Talk about, yeah, we talk about Sharon Stone, but I don't know. I think I think Lexus gives her a run for her money. <laughs> okay. Also, also the name Lexus makes me think of um, the, the comedian Adele Givens talking about your Alexis, name's Lexus, but Buick. you look like a Buick. <laughs> But I do like Paula I do too. I love her. She's amazing. I loved her, but I hated her accent. Oh. Was it just me? 
Like hers was the worst. Hers was the worst of of them. <laughs> interesting. I wasn't Definitely the most pronounced. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she, you don't usually get to see her like this, which. Mm-hmm. You know, because Terrence Howard got an Oscar nomination, but I think all three of the supporting ladies are really good. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And I, I don't know if it came out now, people would put that, uh, maybe they'd campaign for them, but all three of them, you know, I got teary watching, there, there's scenes with all of them that I just, I've seen this before and I was cr- like crying again. <laughs> you cried? I did, the, when he kicks Paula J. Parker out of the house, I think. Oh. And Taraji's crying with the little baby. Yeah, I got emotional with that. And then when Taraji says thank you, for, when she gives him the necklace and she says thank yeah. you, that's, that's a really good scene. Yeah. Uh, or or oh. Taryn Manning too, but yeah. Yeah, I think my, my hot and heavy moment came on. I was like, the, when he came back and ran back in and gave her that, I was like, oh, yes. That was everything. I wanted Although, to know if that was real. They're pretty sweaty, and I'm very sensitive yes. to smells. I don't know. <laughs> and you know she's hot because she's covered in baby oil or uh, baby powder. <laughs> right? You saw the baby powder? <laughs> All throughout the film. Like, she made sure that she was dry. <laughs> unless, um, I mean, unless that was that tussy deodorant. I don't know what that was, but... <laughs> Not tussy. <laughs> she put tussy on her titties, though. <laughs> but, but, you oh, know, yeah. speaking about Paula J. Parker, do you remember that reality show Hollywood Divas? Mm-hmm. Yes, she was on that, and I felt like she was kind of acting a little bit Lexus on that show. So oh, was she? I need to she, look this up. She went to a real place for that character. Well, her, well her, her on that reality show, she and her significant other had fun. They were homeless. They lived in like a motel, and yeah. Wow. So, yeah. which is a shame because I think she's such a talented actor. She should be mm-hmm. working more. But right, mm-hmm. she should. Shout out to Paula J and the movie Sprung. <laughs> oh God! Yes, <laughs> classic <laughs> cinematography that might be on a future episode of Diagnosis. Ooh, and I was like, yes. let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> the same guy that did Sprung did Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood that? still gives me nightmares. Um, I I can't reference it without it bringing immediate flashbacks oh, of horror. Right. <laughs> oh, we should certainly do an episode of that then too. But a quote from this movie that I just say on a regular uh, basis now, it's just crept into, you know, my day to day is, you know, <laughs> good leather keeps you at the temperature you want to be at. OK, that was the biggest <laughs> lie I ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> he just wanted to look expansive. And mm. apparently leather or or fur. One of the two. And he had his little good leather jacket. That's a, that's a very good one. Right. <laughs> very good. I like that one, Courtney. You know, I I do my job. I, I come and I show up. <laughs> but it comes from a very uh, real place because being um, poor, uh, you do see... <laughs> The, the very corny men that feel like they need to wear their leather in all four seasons. And mm. it's it's a very real thing. And um I don't I don't know why, but each time I see it, I'd be like, oh, that's that good leather. They have the temperature mm. they want to be at. <laughs> <laughs> I did appreciate that he felt like he needed to present his best self. Um mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the the short sleeve uh button ups with the 
shirt or tank top under it was just not going to cut it, you know? No one's going to take anyone serious with that on. Not I mean, I'm sorry if that's your wardrobe. <laughs> right, you know? He uh-huh. had to put on his real pimp clothes. He had to, you know, those were his honey, day the Steve pimp Harvey clothes. pants. You saw the Steve Harvey slacks. The Steve honey, Harvey cargo pants with the gators. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, Steve. <laughs> Did you I mean, see he... him on the Sherry Shepard uh, show recently? No. no. He was so funny. He's just funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Steve Harvey, shout out to him. His, I, I miss him questions. having genuine opportunities to be like funny and have conversational funny as opposed to like the forced like game show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or a television host. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about I do shit. have a question though. So, so Taraj and P's character, it seems like she's taking care of Paula's baby. Mm-hmm. Seems like it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like that relationship was well attenuated? Or are we just supposed to assume that like she's raising that baby? And I'm asking because her reaction when Terrence kicks Paula yeah. and the baby out of the house is so emotional. So I just assume that maybe she raised that baby. Well, she has yes. the conversation with him about because um, she can't work, you know, because she's pregnant. And mm-hmm. remember, she thinks he's going to ask her to leave. So I think that was kind of what she was assigned to do then. Her contribution, sure. And as a bottom bitch, there are certain responsibilities that you take on to sustain the household. And so whatever is needed, you as the bottom bitch must provide. So I have to ask, I I don't know if you guys saw the live episode of our recording of the Mac, but Rosie does not, um, the term bottom bitch does not sit with her. I'm telling, I'm trying to convince her that it's a coveted position that <laughs> of the hoes, you would rather be the bottom bitch. But she feels like bottom bitch is, is a derogatory term. And I'm trying to, I just, so I wanted to see if if you all had the same um, reaction to bottom bitch as when Terrence kind of explains it, like that's a bottom bitch right there. When she bought that lava lamp and plugged that in and said, all right, y'all boys have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you explain, Nick. Oh, I, well, I've heard that term before. Uh, Dave Chappelle brings up, and I have the book by this pimp that th- there's a whole chapter about the bottom bitch. And I think mm-hmm. that was the first Spark time. Spark Slim is his name. Yeah, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have that. I haven't read it, but uh, I think that was the first time I really understood because Dave Chappelle explains it very well. But it is a troubling term because <laughs> you, you, you run your bottom bitch out till she can't do anymore. It's like you, you're running this room at woman ragged. And it's like, it's, it's troubling. But yeah, it is, there's a covetedness <laughs> to the position for a little bit. Right, right. And, and so I think it's more so like, okay, so this is the, the most trustworthy or the, the hardest working, you know, all these things. But then to put that, those traits under bottom bitch just makes it sound so bad. I'm just like, why can't I you feel like she should bitch? be called top bitch? Okay. Yeah. Top bitch. Yeah. Based, I mean, I, I think it's the name that's the problem. We, we, yeah. we need like, it a is. we need a marketing team on that to adjust the name. Absolutely. We need, we need you know? <laughs> Yes, I mean, just so, I mean, also, we want this position to be filled, and so we need to have better names, and... If we can get HR and the brand marketing team to come up with a better job position title, yeah. I think that'd be greatly appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so um, in addition to, we'll get HR on that right away. Also wanted to just get your general opinions of the film and just how you felt um, watching it with the rewatch yeah. of watching it now for the purpose of this show. Well, I, this was my third time watching it. I watched mm -hmm. it last with Nick almost 10 years ago to the day. And then I watched it back in 2006, I believe. Um, I definitely don't recall having the same reaction previously, but I think as an adult um, and looking at it from a different perspective, I really appreciated how these characters were humanized, especially for DJ. Like as an adult man, I was to take care of myself for the most part. Um, I did really relate to him feeling like he's at a point of crisis and needs to figure something out. So I, so that was a different perspective. Overall though, I would give this film four out of five. I thought it was excellent. <laughs> I agree. It was also my third time seeing it because I saw it when it came out and then with Joseph a, a decade ago. And I think, yeah, getting older um, and having more life experience makes a lot of this more resonant. I, to me, it feels like it's a film that's about chosen family, which mm. I, it's a, a lot with me, but also, Noticing, you know, after getting, uh, uh, since you mentioned it, uh, masters in social work, it's like noticing attachment styles and kind of the, this codependent relationship where these these boundaries are uh, kind of intersecting in very interesting ways, and they're they're like non-existent, <laughs> non-existent, yeah, no no boundaries really, um, but but also what these the kinship roles that these people have towards each other because they, they are like a family, but there's also uh, you know work I, I guess going on survival, um, so it, I, yes, just getting older and you know tapping a bit more into my own humanity as you everybody does when they age is. I don't know, a lot of how these characters are fleshed out, I think it's just, it's really well done. Um, but from a film perspective, yeah, there's, it's just, it is a very simple story and it kind of moves very quickly if you think yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. I really just appreciate the, it's very Memphis. It's a very Memphis film. Um, mm. And the director and I believe writer as well, he's the same person, was is from Memphis. And he was kind of recreating and telling the story of, um, well, first, there was an interview that where he said that he was scouting for a location for his first film. And in that, during that time, he was, you know, out in the neighborhoods, out and about. And he saw this this woman who just looked so run down and tired and raggedy and sweaty. Mm -hmm. It just looked like she had a day. But yet her pimp was just he was doing his best to sell her. <laughs> <laughs> to him and he just did he couldn't hear what the pit was saying because like normally he just would have walked away he just was staring at this woman like she she don't look like this is what she wants she look like she needed that mm. <laughs> and so it kind of uh originated and kind of got him in the place of wanting to create this story and so i just really appreciate the authenticity to memphis i really liked seeing uh Three Six Mafia in the film, like the different things. And I liked the placement and how they use the music. And it was just, it was very, it felt very authentic. And I think that is kind of the nod back to the 
this is what Quentin Tarantino film would look like if he actually knew black people. Whereas Craig, you know, had had lived around some black folks. So he he actually knew them. Um, where <laughs> with some of just like the lighting and uh the way that certain things were shot and like the the even the text of the in the film and the fonts mm. of that used, it, it very it felt like that to me. And so I immediately like my eye was caught to it. I, I maybe liked it in that way. And I think like there are certain seeds that really stick out to me, like in the church when he's listening to the woman sing and he's oh, having that, was that moment. Mm-hmm. And even the song that she's singing with like, I told Jesus to change my name. It sounds like it's also where DJ is at with him wanting to be different and being called to something like really listening and tuning into himself. And so I thought that there that was very cool. And I liked the way that they laid that out. And then again, I'm a goofball. So all of that aside, (laughs) the movie is still very funny to me. (laughs) Ooh, Chad. Hearing you talk- I need to do better. (laughs) Hearing you talk makes me think that I'm sure the first time I watched it, I didn't respect sex work the way I do now. Right. um, Right. As like a means to an end and in some cases necessary for some people. So watching it, you know, yesterday, I think I really sympathized with the female characters much more than I did mm-hmm. when the film came out. But yeah, the music, the scene where they uh, developed the trap, uh, the track Whoop That Trick. That's is- it, honey. Get him. Yes. Not, it's Taraji Ho and her belly doing the Whoop That yeah. Trick for me. <laughs> and we talk about how cute she is. Yeah. Loved her. And I know, Nick, you agree. I mean, she got a nomination for Benjamin Button, but I feel like she should have been nominated for this film, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Who was nominated this year for Best Supporting? Who was? Yeah. Oh, Who I was don't nominated know. for Best Supporting? That year? Recall? Yeah. Oh, like Michelle, it was all white ladies, basically. <laughs> uh, I think Rachel Weisz won for Constant Gardner, which I don't understand. I remember... Michelle Williams from Brokeback Mountain. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the hot, the, I don't know, people just weren't talking about this, the the ladies in this film in that degree. But, you know, nobody really knew Taraji P. Henson back then. But, right. and, you know, Craig Brewer, this is his second film. And, you know, he's a white guy, but most of his stuff is really oriented in the culture because he's done Dolomite Is My Name, which yeah. has a similar vibe of somebody having to make space for themselves, the Coming to America sequel, of course. Uh, but uh, I think he did like 10 episodes of Empire, which of course is where Terrence mm-hmm. Howard really kind of popped off. But yeah, I, I think she was kind of robbed this year, that year for not getting awards attention. Absolutely. I wish we can have a do-over. Honestly, I wish this movie came out now. I think if it came out... Currently, it would be appreciated a lot differently than it was then. I I recall during this time, um, like feeling like people did make fun of it initially. Like there there wasn't a lot of respect for it. And um, as Joseph mentioned earlier, um, you know, just kind of not having a respect or understanding the lifestyle that these individuals had. And before I was looking at more so of the characters, this time I'm looking at the environment, right? So I'm paying attention to like those shots where they're, you know, they got the shot of the gas station or even how they're pulling into the gas station for her to get her her AC and um, her ice pop, you know? And so um, 
those things I started to pay attention to and the the real struggle started to really set in for me, like realizing what their environment looked like and literally trying to put what they had together, you know, to make, to, to afford to live, you know? And, and also I think another part that got to me was when I heard DJ say in his rap, he's saying that his uncle put him on to pimping. Like that's all he knew. And I feel like that's all they knew in their environment. So it did put a different type of understanding for me because now I'm like, oh, when you're in this space and you grow up in this environment, this is how you're likely to operate. But for him to think differently also says something as well. Like, I want more for myself. I don't want to be here. I want I want to do more. And, and going back to the kid um, that Taraji is essentially raising, my thought seeing him and her cry, like cry over him leaving the house or being put out made me think like, man, I wonder how that that child is going to grow up in that environment. How what product are they going to be in, in for their community and society? But yeah, DJ because, tell it he going to have a twitch. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, she acknowledged that. Yeah. 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 But that's the powerful thing, though, is he it, that's what he the message he's trying to give to his women is, you know, you're in charge. We can be in charge. We can do this. It's it's in my own mind. It's it's a it's how I'm thinking about myself. And that's that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking because you spoke about DJs, I, I think. When it comes to the story, the one part that was a little weak for me is I didn't quite maybe fully understand his connection with music. It just seemed like, you know, one of his drug customers mm-hmm. gives him a keyboard and that sparks this desire to create music. I kind of mm-hmm. wish he would have had maybe mm-hmm. five minutes of more background on his relationship mm-hmm. with music and yeah. You know, my understanding or interpretation of his interest in music was the fact that he saw skinny. What's his name? What's his full name? Skinny what? Skinny Black. Skinny Black, that's right. Gosh, I almost said Skinny Dip. (laughs) I was going to say Skinny Boy. (laughs) Skinny Dip would have been better. Um, So I think... Skinny Dip, Skinny Bop, you know, whatever your name is. (laughs) Uh, That boy name. And I think for me, how I interpret it was like, he was low-key like player hating and and not necessarily player hating, but he was a little envious of the fact that someone that is from where he's from made it there by using music and that he realizes tricking these hoes ain't gonna do it but i do have content that can turn into real rap music and that skinny didn't even really pimp and he wasn't even about these streets like that but i really am and let me show them by putting out my music that's how i interpreted his connection with music yeah that makes sense to me and I think he talks very briefly and I completely agree with you like so much more. I'm, I love a full character development. I need to know all oh, of yes. the reasons why and it needs to come together <laughs> for me. Um, and so when he's like, I got this, I've always had this beat in my head. And so it sounds like music was something that he was good at and that he was doing when he was a child with the the stuff he was doing at Key, with Key in, in middle school. And because he was forced to grow up in the way that he was, was without 
very early, very like before he was ready to have to grow mm-hmm. up, that was taken away from him. That was viewed as a something childish and you have to put away childish things as you become older because you have to take care of these responsibilities. And so this gave him an opportunity to click back into something, one, that he was good at, two, that did bring him joy at one point in time, kind of connect him to that piece of him that didn't get attuned to enough when he was younger. And then also it was when you have very limited options, sometimes it's very hard to see yourself in any other way. And so he knew that he felt distressed and he felt uncomfortable, but seeing the example with Skinny Black, somebody making it, it's like, we used to do the same thing. So this is possible. This is another way out. And with not being able to see himself in other ways, I think that that's, that, that was very key. And I think that that leads as a great segue too into just the diagnosis because I didn't fully give him a full-on diagnosis, but definitely feel that he is having like an existential crisis. And that's kind of what we're seeing. I did. <laughs> I diagnosed that ass. And run it down, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I said narcissistic personality disorder. And I know it's typical, and we we have this conversation all the time about main characters in Hollywood pretty much exhibiting narcissistic traits, which is a a thing that we should probably look into and talk a little bit more about. (laughs) What is our obsession with narcissists? Um, Or what is their obsession in making them an obsession? Okay, anyway, so um, the criteria that I feel that he meets um, is he has a grand grandiose sense of self-importance, um, exaggerates achievements, talents, and expected to be recognized as superior. And so for me, I think his association or this thing that he had of like being Skinny's friend and being like running around in his group of people at because they went to school together um, kind of increased like that grandiose sense of self. Um, and then like, even when he was working with key and like working on the music, it almost felt like he's like, I got these bars, like, you know, like what, what, what is the problem? Like I I'm, I'm here. I've arrived because I have these styrofoam cup holders in here and I'm a rapper. Damn it. You, you figure it out. Cause you're the producer. So that's the, those are my examples. Um, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, and brilliance. So again, you know, kind of feeling like, um, when he was leaving out of the bar and he was telling the owner, like, I'm going to be 10 feet tall the next time you see me. Right. And having this real big sense of self just because he handed over his cassette tape. And by the way, um, that was hilarious when you talk about comedy and how he responded to getting that cassette tape. That was hilarious. Um, I probably would have had the same reaction as well. And um, and believes that he is special, blah, 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 requires excessive ad- admiration. I wouldn't say he had required excessive ad- admiration, uh, but I think he did have a sense of entitlement, um, especially in feeling like he was entitled to um, his woman's bodies and how he made um, Nola. Ooh, Nola. Yeah, Nola gives some guac guac 3000 for a microphone thought that was pretty fucked up you know but and uh, so at first when I was thinking about it I was like he definitely has some narcissistic traits or characteristics I don't know if it's full-blown uh personality disorder but hearing you just run down a criteria I'm like yeah no why why, why did I why did I question this earlier it's clearly here <laughs> because I think also when we when we take down like you know like the cultural aspect right when we put up the cultural aspect of it and then we recognize like he was just doing what he knew to be and how to be. And so was that really his personality or was that just learned from his environment? 
think those are occupational job duties. Pippin, you got to. <laughs> the whole has got to know. Everyone. Like, don't you, don't you walk away? Don't you ever walk away from me? Okay, that's wrong with you. That, what did you just say to me? Like, <laughs> Pippin, okay? Like, you gotta, you know. So some of that, I feel like, you need that. To be successful, clearly that's that's what it is. He had too much narcissism to be so damn unsuccessful. You out here pimping twenty dollar hoes. You can't be narcissistic mm. until you you out you at a certain level. You can't mm. be narcissistic pimping twenty dollar hoes now. Oh, twenty. I think that's what it is. That I think that's what think, it is. <laughs> that makes me think of some more saying that a man with a small dick can't raise their voice at her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have a question, though, because, Courtney, you said that DJ is having an existential crisis, and some of the synopses say that he's having a midlife crisis. And I'm wondering, is there, like, a diagnosis for someone going through a midlife crisis or... Adjustment disorder. (laughs) (laughs) Adjustment disorder is what they just throw at whenever it changes and you ain't reacting well. (laughs) So that you can get covered by insurance, by the the treatment that you provide. (laughs) I'll keep that in mind in like two years. <laughs> yeah. But I also, it breaks my heart that they called it a midlife crisis. And he was like in what, his late 20s? Yeah. No. Not How old do we think DJ is? I'm thinking he's in his 30s. I'm thinking like 28. I need to check. How old was Terrence then? Yeah, how old was Terrence? Uh, he was uh, looking kind of cute there. <laughs> Definitely was. Yeah. Terrence is very handsome. I mean, he can get it, you know. Terrence ain't been cute to be this player club. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is a tad bit crazy. <laughs> but I have met him. You've um, met him? I was at uh, roundtable interviews for the movie Dead Man Down in 2012. So it's a while ago. And so I, I got to sit and ask him questions with a bunch of other journalists. And uh, he's interesting. Uh, eclectic? He's eclectic. <laughs> he had a periodic table of charts. Of, the of course elements. he did. Like, I'm going to rewrite my the periodic table. And I have a, a something like a, I think he said he had a pink topaz mine in South Carolina. Just like, why are we talking huh? about that? <laughs> <laughs> that fits. Like my, huh? my envision of him, that, that you just confirmed all of my thoughts that I have about him. <laughs> did you That's look so into his eyes? Did you get caught up like Prince? Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you? Uh <laughs> Um, you know, so, it's so interesting because that quote, like uh, the scene in the beginning where he's just talking a bunch of shit, like you dogs are human and mankind and, and all, all that. Man ain't like a dog. And when I say man, I'm talking about man is a mankind, not man is a man. But man, he know about death. See, dog, man, dog don't know shit about no birthdays or Christmas or Easter Bunny and none of that shit. So, you know, they going through life carefree. But people like you and me, man, we we, we always guess, wonder, what if, you know what I mean? So when you say to me, hey, I don't think we should be doing this. I got to say, baby, I don't think we need to be doing this neither, but we ain't gonna get no move on in this world, lying around the sun, licking our ass all day. That sounds like something he would say in real life. I think that was not even like scripted. <laughs> Right, that was an ad lib for sure. Prof, Sorry, Joseph, you were no, going to say something. No, that he was 35 when they filmed this. Um, what would you qualify as midlife? I mean, how well. old do you want to be? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I guess you start with how old you want to be when you die, and then you better nap. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> 
Un- the unfortunate like midlife reality. crisis, forty six and up. Okay. I don't feel like just the average American isn't living. <laughs> the average American isn't living until a hundred years old, right? So when we say midlife crisis, we I think we think fifties because it just is not a nice number to kind of land on. But in reality, a midlife crisis for most Americans would likely be thirties if you think about it, or thirties or forties. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Real shit. Trigger. <laughs> the average, the average death, a the average age of of um a death for a black woman is actually seventy seven years old. So technically, right now, I'm I'm midlife. And I'm higher than I expect than I would have guessed it to be though. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because mm-hmm. you know the okay. world is trying to kill us. <laughs> I'm glad that we out here resist until seventy seven. Yeah, good for us. <laughs> <laughs> well and i mean i feel like i have to mention also oh, black trans women's life expectancies are much lower so mm-hmm. yeah. true mm-hmm. true and and like when you think about their environment for that for that social economic status it's probably significantly lower too right so yeah. he mentioned his dad dying at a young age when he, when he was at a young age and yes. him trying to and that i felt like was an incorporation of the existential existential crisis that he was having of like mm-hmm. where is my life going what is my legacy going to be if i were to die today like in, in with the even the song the the keep hustling song or the hustling flow song whichever keep one where Taraji sing that one yeah. he <laughs> the tagline is it ain't over for me it ain't over for me it's because he's like that's so beautiful. <laughs> so <Thanks>. beautiful. <laughs> you gotta close your eyes so that you can really feel it, you know? Very sweet. <laughs> like Nola with her head out the window. It was it was great. Um <laughs> but all of that is like adding to like in kind of a testament to where he is and trying to redefine what his life is and where he's going and looking around with what is existing and what he's achieved so far and not being okay with it and saying like it, it has to change. And so I think that if he was if DJ was my client. If I was seeing him while during his uh, his prison sentence, <laughs> while he's in jail, I think existential therapy is what I would want to um, kind of use with him and kind of what is that legacy? If you were to die today, what does that legacy look like? And if we're happy with that, then we're happy with that. And if we're not, then let's build from there. Let's kind of look at me meaning making. What do you want certain things to be going forward and kind of reestablishing that? Because he does have the hope of it, with the the self-coping statements of I'm in charge, we're in charge, repeating that and having the belief of that. It gives a lot of hope and it gives a lot of insight to him feeling that he does have a possible future and that he does feel that he has the capability of achieving more. Okay, so then what are the things that you need in order to to get to that place? And I think what is good for him is that he did have Nola in his life. Not all of us are have access to a white woman that will go out there and sell box for you to in order to to further your dream. And so with that level of support, like he can then achieve. Like because what happens for most people is you have this dream, and then when when you get so close to the dream, that's where the real test comes. And so for him, that was going to jail and he has someone to continue the mission because unfortunately for a lot of people, once you get hit with that life circumstance, you go to jail and you don't have anyone that can support you in that way. That's where the dream dies. Oh, I have a question related to that then because I'm choosing to think that, you know, the movie ends to me in a hopeful way that he probably will become a successful recording artist. But do you think 
if he were your client and he does become successful, that he would be very difficult to rein in versus if his music doesn't pop off. Like, which scenario would offer him the best prognosis? I think he's so resilient and he, if, if he could, like he said, if he could pimp $20 hoes, he could pimp skinny. So I feel like if, whether or not it pops off, he's going to continue to survive. He's going to find a way. And even if he is just local famous, I feel like even that would be a far cry of achievement than where he is right now. And he would be a certain level of satisfied with that. Would he aspire for more? Yes. But I feel like even if local fame is all that he achieved, he would be okay. And so I think the larger being able to handle the, the demands of an extremely successful rap career might be the, the more difficult because he does not know how to navigate that in a different way. Like he beat the shit out of Skinny Black in a bathroom for throwing away his tape. Can you like how many people get their demos thrown out? You can't, you know, assault the person and then <laughs> shoot his homeboy because they didn't like your music or didn't want to listen to your music. Quick. So like <laughs> him on that larger scale would make me a whole lot more nervous and we'd have to get a whole lot more supports around him in the event that that was the case. That that escalated really quickly. And (laughs) I I think that's where the narcissistic personality disorder would like really those criteria and, and things would start to really solidify more and become a bigger issue, right? And so um, being a local celebrity from my, from my standpoint, I feel like would actually um, exaggerate that feeling of entitlement or, you know, feeling that self-importance, right? And that becoming an issue where he, I could see the prognosis for him and his relationship with the closest people who started with him and them kind of being like, man, you changed or like you acting different or him feeling like he's above them and like going into this next phase or era of life and kind of leaving them, the little people behind. Um, so I, I get that vibe. Um, when I think about his prognosis, especially when I'm considering the the narcissistic personality disorder. I feel like I have access to so much great information. I have more questions, but I'm curious what you think about the relationship between Key and Yvette and how he handled, because mm. he had a dream and I, she seems reasonable. Like he could have just told her what he was doing. Like, I'm just curious what you think about how he handled that. That was... Uh... <laughs> my whole Hilarious. conceptualization with key is that i just want to see them for couples therapy there's no diagnosis there's no i just want to see them for couples because she was on some like i'm just going to tell you what you want to hear and i'm not going to say and and then being further than pushed like of course who would want their husband in a house full of hoes and then him kind of even when she came in it was like i just want to be a part i just want to see what you're doing like you clearly are very passionate about this i want to show that i'm supporting you look i got dill sauce in case you want to dip if if (laughs) 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 and so with that level of support key what is it that you feel that where you still feel uncomfortable with sharing that's that level of intimacy with your wife and that it has been when we see them first having dinner and it's just him pretending to listen well mm-hmm, then what you right <laughs> okay and he's not really paying attention clearly there's a level of intimacy that isn't really happening there is a level of communication that isn't really happening it's very surface of like this is she's a good man i mean she's a good woman he's a good man and y'all are coming together for this good marriage um good christian wholesome church-filled marriage 
but there isn't real intimacy intimacy happening. And so I like that she came, she actually showed up. She was very much so fighting um, for her marriage. I'm a fight for my marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she showed up to the, uh, you know, to the trap and with the sandwiches. And so she was showing her level of commitment and then he allowed her in. But even with her coming in, he didn't like seem excited that she was there. He wasn't the one that welcomed her in. DJ was. And DJ's the one who said, we'd really like for you to stay. And he just was very reluctant until like he saw her bopping her head. And then he was like, okay, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. And so all of that would rose questions for me. And so I would really like to see them for couples and kind of get deeper into that. I think his initial sh- his initial reaction was shock, you know, like, man, I didn't know <laughs> she really cared that much to show up and yet alone offer food, you know, like what's going on here? I, I think he was just like, OK, what's the next thing that's about to happen? She about to kick out, you know, all kind of stuff. Right. So I felt like he was processing what was really going on in that situation. Um, and I felt like DJ had a good point. She, he was like, well, what, she, what needs to happen? She needs to have your in her mouth. And I was she like, put something you know, in her mouth. You know, sometimes that's only on his birthday. Remember, that's what he right. said. She get freaky on my birthday. So she only getting freaky on the birthday. <laughs> Another something that we might need to address in couples counseling. <laughs> you know, how often are we engaging in intimacy? Because that's important. I don't know. I would also like to hear your thoughts on the statement Nola made after she procures the microphone and Mm -hmm. DJ is trying to make her feel better. And she says, correct me if I'm wrong, but she says something to the effect of like, I know when you're trying to get into my head, Mm -hmm. sometimes I need that, but not right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes my head needs to be messed with. Mm. Yeah. That, That stood out for me too. Um, because again, going back to that initial first scene when he's really, he was just really fucking with her head, like all the, all the words and, and all that. that, that it was that's just, pimping, honey. That is, that right. is, that's quality pimping. Exactly. <laughs> that ain't just fucking with you. That ain't, that's, that's pimping. pimping. <laughs> exactly. And at that moment, she was like, I don't need you to be a pimp. I need you to be my friend or my partner. And what you're telling me, that's what we are. I don't need that right now. That's, that's how I interpret that. If you're working I really with, liked seeing her assert herself in that way in that moment, too. But how difficult is it working with someone who seems to have an awareness of how they're being manipulated? Like, I, I feel like it'd be very difficult to talk to some, like, to provide therapy to someone who is very aware of the situation they're in. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is that accurate or? That's most clients. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because most times they they're aware of what's going on. Like they're they're they they know, you know. And I think the hardest part is like what to do. Like they, especially for Nola, I felt like she she wanted so much like structure and instruction from her environment that she was willing to do anything. And um, for for that moment, it it was like, yeah, I don't I don't need you to to tell me all this fantasy stuff. I need I need you to be real in this moment with me and understand that. I, I felt violated and she knew she knew what she needed. She knew how she needed to say it. And I think most clients is like, they know what they need to say. They know what they need to do. Most times they just need someone to kind of champion them into the direction that is suited for them. And that's why I always tell people like, I'm not, my role isn't here to 
fix you or answer your, your answer questions to your problems or solve your problems. I'm just here to help you recognize that you have several options in this situation and you have the, um, the ability to make the best solution for yourself. So I was going to suggest what came to my mind is maybe cognitive behavioral therapy yes. <laughs> for everyone in that household. Um, <laughs> but also for, as you said, um, DJ is resilient, but you know, he puts all his eggs in the one basket with uh, skinny black. And it's like he needed somebody needed to tell him, like, look, this is one potential avenue for you to get what you want. But there are other ways like, you yeah. know, it's not the end of the world. It's like everything is like we have one shot to do this. Like even mm -hmm. how they lay down the track, it's like we have there's noise next door. Like we, we there's they're living in such a way that it's like it's now or never ends like that kind of panic that is underlying everything that they're doing is stressful yes so, as a yeah, spectator I yeah the spectator is very frustrating watching him put all his eggs in one basket like dude mm -hmm. yeah. it'll be okay if skinny doesn't want to listen right i think he only knew how to hustle hoes i don't think he understood how to hustle like his rap game you know like yeah, yeah. and i think that might be the lesson that nola surprisingly teaches him and that okay, I am a hoe and I can hustle your, your music and do it this way. Let me stop. But yeah, um, I feel like in that moment, she that's where we realized, yeah, you know, there's actually more than just trying to get Skinny Black to listen to your cassette tape. Will you talk about when Lexus is antagonizing DJ, basically mm -hmm. saying like he's not a man and mm -hmm. he grabs her by the throat and... Like, what do you think she was looking for? Like, because, I mean, it feels very literal. Like, she wants him to be very aggressive with her. But mm. how do you interpret that? I didn't diagnose Lexus. I just I died, uh, felt that she was a little bit miserable and clearly had been <laughs> in some negative, toxic situations throughout her life. And so she, with the, the like you, how you just, just described her antagonizing, there are unfortunately individuals who feel like that aggressive behavior, that's how you show that you care. That's in the moment you're affirming because she had just got left outside the club for three hours and then had to spend all her money to take a taxi. And so which she felt dismissed, that she felt not important and she wasn't involved in the, the the music making at all then this was something new that was getting his attention aside from the house and so it seemed like this was her trying to take the attention back and force it and then so when he come and he grabbed it she literally says do something do something like like that is how i receive that you're paying attention to me unfortunately mm -hmm. and it seems like that it might uh, have been how she got affection not affection attention before is that it was coming in an aggressive or in a violent manner so that's what she was in that way trying to get in that moment and again with the ethical pimping i really appreciate that he didn't hit her he just said you know what me and you are done like this and i, I felt like that was him communicating the boundary like this isn't beneficial for any of us anymore this is you get into a place where it's just disrespectful also I'm the pimp here. Like you, you can't, uh -uh. You, you, these is my rules. This, this here, my house. <laughs> mm. And so then put her out. Unfortunately, I just hated that the baby had to go too because the yeah. baby didn't do nothing wrong, but the sins of the mother, I guess. But I felt like that's what she was trying to do in that moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I felt like the, the aggression, I know we didn't see it like filmed, right? 
but they were kind of scared of him. Like, you know, even when Suge, you know, when when she said, I'm scared and he popped up on her, you know, she jumped. Like, I'm I'm wondering if he actually did at some point hit them. Like, because they all seemed very timid, especially when that was going down, you know, um, Nola was in the corner, like, you know, uh, and Suge is like having a full breakdown. So I'm wondering if there has been moments where he would have. But in that, he was like, I'm not giving you the energy. I think it is probable. And unfortunately, many individuals who are um, choose sex work of a, as a line of work have had very difficult uh, backstories, histories, childhoods, upbringings, it, just negative experiences. And so what I'm seeing Nola, like Taraji is full on expressive. She's crying. They're taking the baby away. She was the one in the argument before. She's pregnant. Very mm-hmm. expressive, outwardly emotional. What I'm seeing from Nola is a full on to me what looked like a trauma response yeah. because she completely withdraws, turns yeah. inward. She barely she has she lets one tear fall the entire time. And so mm-hmm. that if for me is kind of where I'm like, I feel like Nola has. And that's why she's able to have that insight later on. Like maybe uh, again, we don't get much backstory about the girls, which I don't like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Definitely felt like Nola has had some negative experiences. And he says, like, when I met you, you was mm-hmm. out uh, tricking with the truckers, which is a very dangerous place to be in. Her being as tiny as she was and being out there by herself clearly lets me know enough to where as she she was just surviving. And so this is a more safe position than she was before and so not wanting that to be taken away it seems like everyone is kind of at well the ladies at least are in a place where this is better than the alternative and so they just don't want it to be taken away like that's Taraji's biggest fear is like you want me to leave because she's not working and just it very much so was like lots of trauma response I'm seeing being people being triggered and so I like Nick, what you said about CBT, especially I'm thinking with Nola, because she has so much insight and she is so aware of everything that's going on. And so I want to intervene in that. Like we see the the things that are happening. We see I want to figure out what those core beliefs are. I want to figure out what are those automatic thoughts that you're having that's leading to the responses that we're seeing, because if we can kind of get in there, then maybe we can change some of those responses so that she can continue to advocate for herself. She can continue to set those healthy boundaries, whether she continues to deal with DJ as his whole or now as his marketing team, whatever that may be. One more. I just thought <laughs> you alluded to it all to it already, but when before DJ leaves to go see Skinny and then he runs back into the house and like mm-hmm. has this passionate moment with Raj's character, I wonder like like what do you think his intention is because i I didn't think it was sexual as much as just he felt seen and Mm -hmm. like do you feel like him having a healthy relationship with her is even possible like under what conditions could they have it (laughs) (laughs) i want them to be happy i just want i do too (laughs) i do too well really still want to Right, exactly. Their definition of happy, they would achieve. Would other people look at it and say that it's healthy? I, I don't know. But, you know, who are we to judge? That, that That's them. They like it. I love it. Um, but I think that it was him allowing himself to, to have that experience with her. And that's why he kind of had to run back and go do it in the immediate 
time because when he when she's talking about being scared and he's touching the belly it seemed like those were feelings like he was feeling something in that moment and him kind of jumping up was like removing himself from feeling stuff like mm-hmm. i can't do this pippin i gotta protect myself i gotta mm-hmm. be on my game i gotta be on point and this was him like giving in and allowing himself to feel something and be connected to somebody else and so mm-hmm. is it is it happy and healthy in the long run mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um for for me I because I'm like such a romantic I was like oh my gosh that's him showing that he really loves her and you know because he he explained the type of love he had for Nola um and then you know to see him it like outwardly display the love that he was saying is different from Nola was like oh this is the actual love that's not like brother and sister um and so it was like I think for, for for me, when I thought about it, I said, oh, wow, he really appreciates this necklace and the lava lamp. Like, this is how much he, he really <laughs> appreciates it. Thank you so much. And I mean, it was simple. It was, and, and it made me think, like, really, it really is the little things that help you understand and appreciate someone in your life. And in that moment, I think he hadn't experienced it. And to have it was like, yeah. This, 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 you're no longer my bottom bitch. You're, bottom now bitch. My bitch. you're now my bitch, you know. Like, but no, because I still think that he would pimp her out, like if the if it time needed after the baby. I still think it, a pimp mm-hmm. is a pimp, you're right. But I think he would be a little more, <laughs> I think there would be more care, there would be more yeah. concern. But like, this um, one's a hundred, not 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, side note, <laughs> side note, am I the only one who wondered how should pay for the lava lamp and the custom chain? The oh, chain. Okay. I was like, "What? Well, she been holding out. I'm surprised she didn't get her ass beat. <laughs> even if you go to the mall and get one from the kiosk, that has to be like, what, $30, $40? I, mean, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> back then, you know. Yeah. So I, I was like, the lava thing. lamp, maybe the flea market, you know, maybe you could catch that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking swipe no in the back. Oh. Even better. Because you learned in the Mac that That's girls get, mar- get trained. Yeah. But the, the chain, I was like, That's custom. She yeah, had to have them spell that out now. Um, can't mop it if it's custom. You got to go pick it up. And that, That's true. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, she could have been like, let me see. And it ran, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> With Not the pregnant belly? Like my dry cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> so I did diagnose Suge with um, dependent personality disorder. And the criteria that I felt like she fit was having difficulty making everyday decisions without an excessive amount of advice and reassurance from others. I felt like more so with the reassurance as opposed than from the advice. Um, Needing others to assume responsibilities for major areas of her life. Having difficulty expressing disagreement with others because of fear of loss of support or approval. Having... Uh, goes to extensive lengths to obtain nurturance and support from others to the point of volunteering to do things that are unpleasant, feeling unrealistically preoccupied with fears of having left to take care of herself, urgently seeks other relationships as a source of care and support when a close relationship ends. And so I wanted to ask, we see, especially especially for Shook, um, we see lots of system things playing a part like in her even being like i can't stand in that line or that line all day like how to especially if i got the baby with me so wanted to see like from the social work perspective system wise how would um 
what are the supports if you were uh, (laughs) Shook's case manager (laughs) and trying to get her, you know, levels of support? How would you approach that? Because there's so many levels. Oh, I don't even. (laughs) First, I feel like she probably should get out of that house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, God, I don't even know. I don't It, I, I feel like I'm stuck on wanting to remove her from that scenario, but uh, she ain't leaving. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can suggest do? it, but she ain't going. So <laughs> that's true. Would probably start with uh, making sure she's trying to set her up with maybe what are her skills and interests and what can we learn? How can we develop that to find a, a job or an occupation that you can start getting your feet wet into and mm-hmm. also plans preparing for how she's going to care for this child. Mm-hmm. that She might really be stuck alone doing that. She can't really depend on anyone else in this house to help with the child's needs. So I think that would be where we'd start with support for her. Yeah. Cause like, DJ in jail. <laughs> Right, right. Where she is like right now and what she needs, but uh, with with some kind of long-term goals about where we're going, how do you see your life? <laughs> that seems like a good opportunity. Make her vocalize that because I don't think she knows. Just like um, Nola, I don't think they've been allowed to even think beyond the survival of today, maybe. Mm-hmm. So start with that's where I'd probably want to start with her, I guess. Yeah, because even with Nola, when she is stepping into her own, she literally to the T is just, she has on the the suit and the phone with the ear jack and the new <laughs> shoes. She has exactly what DJ described. And yep. so she is basically still living in the, uh, 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 the vision that DJ had for her. And so Suge doesn't really have, he, she's not given that type of direction. And so it would be so much just figuring out like, what do you want for your life? And if you're not okay with figuring that out for yourself, okay, in the systems that you exist in, how do you feel that you're helpful? How do you feel that you are supporting the the family, your chosen family? What role do you play there? How can we play up? Okay, so you're good with childcare. Okay, so then does that mean that you get into the field of childcare? Like if it like, how do we play up your strengths so that you can feel purposeful? Because it's almost to the point where she's lacking that and she finds it by supporting DJ. Okay, DJ in jail now. So you got to support yourself in this child. What does mm-hmm. what does that look like? Um, yeah. <laughs> My thought was, why is nobody at least trying to get a job? Like, actually, like <laughs> a W-9 or something? Like, uh, why is it that the only person judgy, who's employed... Judgy. I'm sorry, I'm just going <laughs> to say to be said. Why did, like, one is a stripper and she's like, I'm making the money for the house. Like, really? You could be making that same kind of money at McDonald's, girl. Chill out. Like, I know you're not pulling in good money. Yeah, I felt the same way, if not only to get air conditioning. Like, be somewhere where there's air conditioning. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And now we hopping in the car because the car got AC. Oh, he got AC. It was sad, but I'm just saying, like, in my mind, I, I guess to to Nick's point, like, you know, figuring out, like, occupationally, what can we do to afford, you know, to continue to live in your environment? Because I, I, I might be making this inference, but it sounded as though Key, when he came to visit DJ in prison, he said that they paid for the phone bill. 
that he yeah they said they're gonna chip in and pay the phone bill right so again like okay i get it like nola you doing the hustle thing and trying to get the track out but girl we could work she keeping the lights on what do you mean this woman is out here working double time she is the sole marketing team for whoop that trick and and in addition also out here making this money to get to feed uh uh suge and the baby and herself this woman is doing double duty now we're not gonna judge her (laughs) and as a jamaican who works three jobs okay i am still saying you can trick on the side and flip a burger is all i'm saying I we mean, don't know she wasn't because clearly she was doing something she was able to afford her little earpiece with the cord attached she probably <laughs> fucked for it i mean she oh. fucked for a mic yeah she did yeah you trick, <laughs> you trick at night and day during the day you do yeah. something else like she's marketing during the day that's when the radio station she got to go hit the radio stations oh, during the day look at these no, you know i think you're just making some excuses for this i am meeting the client no where they reason. are at thank you very much <laughs> there has to be some break right like geez that that pussy that woman is out here working hard okay <laughs> oh lord oh that was just too much. I think, like, kind of going back to what Nick said earlier, it just seems like the struggle was just so real, but it did it have to be? Nola that also looked hard. 12. Can she read? We don't know if the girl can read good. We don't oh, We you don't do know. have a point. Okay. All right. See, now now we're making sense here. Because then if maybe there is a limitation as to why they are not gainfully employed. Right? There usually is. Again, I have told you multiple times on this show, Selling Please. Cat is for emergencies only clearly these women are in their emergency state <laughs> they have tried x y and z those things did not pan out the way that they thought that they would and so here they are <laughs> Look, okay so if that's the case then should what that mouth do i'm just saying okay right. look delete that dear i'm being bad delete <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Well, now that the baby is born, she can get back on. Maybe that's what did they trade off on watching the baby. And so she can get back out here in these streets. This well, I, feel, so I feel hopeful <laughs> for Suge because with DJ out of the picture for a year, maybe there can be some intervention. She can find her mm. own way. Yeah. I agree. I'm curious. I uh, like that, but I, I'm, I feel like she's just going to find something else to attach herself to. Yeah. Oh. Like, yeah, DJ's not the problem per se for her. It's her. Oh, yeah. sure. It's her allowing that. And so she's just going to attach to something else. For DJ may be a problem, but her attachment to DJ is what her problem is presenting as. And so mm. if she just attaches herself to the baby, okay, then maybe, you know, we can figure some things out. But if it then becomes just an attachment to something else or her and Nola are something happens there, then... I'm I'm still concerned. I would like to I would like to make sure that she is has good follow up supports going forward because she would be someone that I would be concerned about. You know, I think we're not realizing that like Suge is actually very I feel like she's very smart, like um, and how like she's presenting. Um, she has a lot of self-awareness, a lot of empathy and compassion. And so um, even as she's like, you know, saying the word, she's like, can I say four? Cause this sounds real ghetto for, you know, so <laughs> I think she, she has the capability to, to, oh, to, to, yeah. Oh, 
Um, and so <laughs> I, I know that, that if, if she had the, if she didn't have the, the pregnancy that she would have been in a different position and being able to take care of herself. And then also understanding that her role and position that I, I may be kicked out. So I feel like in the back of her mind, she might be preparing for the fact that she could be kicked out or like, and I need to leave. she spit that money on that chain. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she had money in the first place says something like, true, true. She had money, right? We don't know where it came from, but it might have been something she kept in a little sock in a drawer somewhere hidden from everybody for a case of emergency or somebody blow up. So here we go. It was that her powdered titty? It was in her powdered titty the whole time. <laughs> she, when she yeah. paid, she had to say, cuss it off. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> At least it's dry. Right. Okay. Yeah, I feel like she, <laughs> it probably absorbed that sweat. Oh my god! It's better than the money that DJ gave the the drug dealer dude in the corner store. He got his assets on it first, and then gave it to my dumb ass. You ain't gonna take it. You would have smelled it. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) Smell that money. Well, I, oh, and I was to apologize for interrupting you, Dr. Rosie. It's just, you know, I had to make sure we're a Memphis movie now. And so eight ball said, you say four, we say four. So I had to make sure. Oh, you okay. Four. You're right, Mike. Uh, so <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. That's fine. How many times oh, did you say may in this movie? 221 times. <laughs> we do need to shout out the soundtrack. It's very good. And um, the lead oh, song was the awesome. second... Yeah, the second uh, rap song to win an Oscar. So that's impressive. Well, it's especially in 2005, if you think about it. Man, like, yes. did win that, yeah. That was awesome. I mean, I, I really thought for a second, I was like, who wrote these songs? Because they're actually really good. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make these suckers recognize I ain't playing hope. If you violate off the top trick, you got to go. <laughs> you know, like, wow, that's really talent. That's really talent. I do. How do we feel about Christopher Bridges, aka Ludacris's acting? Mm. Ludacris is a good actor. Actually, I think his character was just shitty. I think that Skinny Black uh-huh. was such an asshole that he had to really play up his his. I ain't never coming back. You miss me? You don't know me? <laughs> I don't know that nigga. Like it was it was a lot of theatrics because I yes. felt like that's who Skinny Black was, and so he had to. Ah. <laughs> Nick, do I know him from another movie besides the Fast and Furious? Crash. Like yeah. Crash. Oh, yeah. Crash. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was in that with Terrence Howard, too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm. Which I haven't watched in a long, long time, but I don't. May deserve a revisit. Yeah. I don't know how much time we have left, but I feel compelled. Since the only thing I'm qualified to talk about is hair. Is, um, yes. Let's get into it. Can we please address? Um, I have several questions about hair. <laughs> so the first thing is Taryn Manning's hair, Nola. Mm. So she has mm. these individual micro braids that are not like her entire head is not braided, and the, so I that's was already. Wondering. <laughs> well, I was like, is this whole patch just not done? Did they run out of hair? And so she she just styles it to the side. <laughs> I'm so concerned about it, not only because <laughs> it's not. Not only because it's not finished, but, you know, the beauty of textured hair is that it holds a braid very easily. Like, that's Mm -hmm. why it's ideal. But when you have that fine, thin, straight hair that gets greasy in six hours, I can't even imagine how well those braids... And you know men are tugging on hair. Yeah. 
But the thing that killed me is she tells DJ at one point, or she tells someone, I think Shelby at one point. She got to keep the tricks guessing. She has to get it done regularly because it keeps the tricks guessing. I use that in real life. Where? Where? (laughs) When? When did this happen that you switched it up? The only time it's different is when she puts it up. Um, Right. At the the end, she got those those ponytails at the end. Yeah. If I were in charge of hair for that movie, I would have just had her in wigs. I think it would have made more sense for the character, like mm. her needing to switch it up. Um, and the fact that it's hot, I think we could have played up that she takes it off and she has to turn into a different character when she puts them on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't but know. They would... She can't afford wigs. <laughs> get you a cute little synthetic for twenty. Hey, that's what happened. She only had enough money to get this side of her head done, and so she was like, uh, "So I know that I, I don't have all of it. So can you just make sure you do the perimeter, and then the middle can just stay." That's a good point because you know braiding hair, braiding hair is cheap, and the fact that she couldn't get enough to, and you know her head is tiny. (laughs) Her head is very tiny. She's also Um, got no equilibrium, so you know. Okay, (laughs) he said you're just not getting the shit. You're and Nola ain't that damn far to fall. (laughs) Actually, that's a quotable line. Yeah, it really is. It's a funny one too. (laughs) I'm also compelled to just so I I I actually like. Uh, DJ's hair. I think he looks sharp as a tack, but yes. um, all I could think about is how hot it is and what those pillowcases must be like. Oh, mm. yeah. And I was trying to figure out if I think if his hair is processed. Um, if he doesn't have a relaxer, he probably has like a soft permanent wave, like a jerry curl. Mm-hmm. And then he gets... Terrence Howard probably had roller sets, but then in the movie they show him getting it curled. Mm-hmm. But oh, with that weather and no air conditioning... No. Oh, I just can't even imagine. Like, mm. <laughs> I'd be so uncomfortable all the time. My all the time. Immediately, like with the with the the curling iron being that close to me in that heat, my roots would immediately turn yeah. into a black power fist. Like, immediately just lock right back up, mm-hmm. and so it would be like mini fro wave. Like, it would, right. it would not be cute. <laughs> I wanted to ask though about Taraji's technique. Did, did she did she meet your approval with the with the comb with the curls? She did. She did. Okay. She was careful. She was careful. Mm-hmm. She didn't test the heat of the iron, but you know, maybe she's so uh, she's <laughs> so experienced. She didn't need to. <laughs> yeah, because she's the bottom bitch, and so this is her. This is her job. And yeah, so right. she probably curls his hair every Tuesday. It's probably it's not, a thing. Yeah, it's not her first time at the radio. Yeah, right. no, it's wash day. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> Shout out to Raji for her hairline, her hair care line. Yeah, her okay. wig was cute though. I really liked her wig, and I liked it on her. Like it was very what, in the movie. Yeah, you didn't like her curly, her wet and wavy wig. I'm sorry, everybody was sweaty and looking crazy. So I don't know. <laughs> That's why I feel like it fit because she was always sweaty. So it was it, the curls made sense. <laughs> I, I agree. I thought her hairstyle made sense. Okay. What about yeah. Paula's? I hated. I hated. I hated. I hated. I hated uh, until she got thrown out. Now, when she got thrown out, I liked her curls. Those were cute. That's a good out. That was a whole nice little ensemble together ensemble. to get thrown out in. If you got to go make something work and you on your last, mm. like that's the way that you should look. But everything Ooh. else was absolutely terrible and I hated it. Mm, hated it. <laughs> All of the things that they could have did for that beautiful woman. And that's what they chose. I mean, she worked in the strip club. Now, you know, when you work in a strip club, hair has got to be on point. You Not got to be then. the fantasy. You got to be the fantasy. 
Missy. We saw Not Players Club. It, it, you had to. Yeah. She could have got her a, a Ronnie wig and, and the same blonde color or something. But it was just it was not giving what it was supposed to because the other girls in the strip club was together and she was were they were they (laughs) (laughs) it was better than us remember the clapper the clapper (laughs) she was was the all-star she was the bottom bitch of the strip club (laughs) she was the mercedes (laughs) oh when did we when did we last watch the players club recently right yeah 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 poor paula I mean, you gotta let, you gotta make the money. Don't let it make you, you know. And oh goodness, that's my the concern. Here. We're talking about hair. My question is: Did DJ braid his own damn hair when he was in jail? Why don't braids look like that? That's true. Oh, good point. Well, it, but they were terrible. Now, I, I every man I know that done been to jail and got braids, they at least look like they sat in the barber chair and somebody straightened out the parts. His looked ter- like they look like stitches. I want to imagine, I want to imagine, I want to imagine that his like cellmate, a very large man, right. has, has, has made, yeah, has made DJ his girlfriend and he braided DJ's hair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's this the fantasy I'm in right now. I'm, I'm with you. I'm following because I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, wow. One of his girlfriends did that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he made a friend at least. Yeah. Um, I didn't like it. He need better friends. He need a friend that can do hair a little bit better. Cause this this person was just trying it out. It was rough. <laughs> those are, those are the type of braids that you had contraband in. Oh, oh yes, there was a razor in one of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, for sure. Not not contraband. <laughs> you got your shank in one part. You know. You got your oh. uh, your moonshine and other. What? Over all the notes I went through, I. Uh, yeah, this has been such a treat, like getting to pick your brain. Uh, it's such an interesting perspective. I mean, this is why I love your podcast is that we get to hear about, yeah, we, we get insight into things that we wouldn't normally think about. So it's, it, it feels like a privilege. <laughs> oh, man, I really appreciate your both your insight as well, especially like, you know, as far as like design, costume and hair. And but then also uh, the other side, as far as like the crit- the movie critique and you know the information the background information of that because i largely lack in that area so it's really nice having that it's <laughs> also what makes you guys this show as fun so fun as well and so yes. we want to encourage everyone that is listening to make sure that you go listen and support the fish jelly podcast as well and if you guys could please let our uh viewers because y'all podcast is like we say you know get it wherever you get podcasts available like but y'all are really everywhere the podcasts are available yes. So please uh, let our listeners and viewers know how to uh, listen to the show, get in touch with y'all. If you're selling anything, please promote at will. <laughs> so our podcast and YouTube channel are called Fish Jelly and they all the podcast is available on all platforms and um, our YouTube channel we're very active on. We also have merchandise, uh, which uh, we have links to the shop um, everywhere. Every description, every video, you can find it. <laughs> So please uh, help support me to live the lifestyle I know I deserve. And uh, yes, yes. <laughs> we love that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about bottom being a bottom bitch, but I guess. Probably... <laughs> I would, that would be the time to do it. Yes, you can't, you can't tease us with a good time. Uh, yeah, Nick would be the bottom bitch, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 
I prefer the term workhorse, but you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I like that. See, in this case, bottom bitch sounds a little bit more glamorous. I'd rather right. be a bottom bitch than a horse. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Thank you so much for having us. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I'm. I'm hoping that we can maybe do something like this again. Oh yeah, in the future. Yes. Oh, I. Oh, I when Joseph was asking for suggestions, I gave him a list of like 30 movies we should talk about. Oh, really? I had to to narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So we, so we can choose maybe some from the, from that list, because I really do again, appreciate your perspective, your your unique perspective, especially with um, viewing and um, critiquing films, because that's essentially what we kind of do here too. Um, but we also come from that a very novice way. Very novice, right? <laughs> so this is being excuses. Very well thought out. But that's the glory of film is there's so many perspectives and ways to approach something. It doesn't yeah. happen one way, you know? Absolutely. Love all of it. And so with that being said, if you would like to support the show and help us get more content out to you all, you can visit our website and follow the support the show link to become a Patreon member or donate on our cash app. Now we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we'd rather the kind that folds. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the DSM podcast and you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a comment because we are counselors and actually care about what you have to say. So until next time, y'all. Peace. Okay, bye, you cinephiles. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>